Today we're looking at a very small book in the Bible, Jude. It's a letter of Jude. It's the last book in the Bible before you get to the last book, before the Revelation. The subtitle for today is uh, When Sincerity is Not Enough. Charles Schultz says, and I'm, I'm sure he couched this in the form of uh, advice Lucy was giving to Charlie Brown. It doesn't matter what you believe so long as you are sincere. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard yourself say that? Lord Helsham said, some of the worst men in the world are sincere, and the more sincere they are, the worse they are. Oscar Wilde said, a little sincerity is a dangerous thing, and a great deal of sincerity is absolutely fatal. Martin Luther King Jr. said, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. George Bernard Shaw said, it is dangerous to be sincere unless you're also stupid. Jimmy Pritchett, whoever that was, said, sincerity does not and cannot substitute for truth. And looking at the entertainment industry, Fred Allen once said, you can take all the sincerity in Hollywood, place it in the navel of a fruit fly, <laughs> and still have enough room for three caraway seeds and a producer's heart. <laughs> I didn't feel there was much sincerity there. And, uh, we've seen this in evidence in recent days. This is the season of the year when we have all of the awards, the People's Choice Awards. Uh, what's, the, what's the big one? Uh, all, all of those. Uh, uh, the, the sincerity just drools out of there. Now, Jude writes his letter because there were a group of people who mocked sincerity as they secretly slipped into the church, as he says, but wrecked havoc with the church because of their poor theology, their poor beliefs, and their even worse behavior. Let me refresh you of these words. Certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are, old, they are ungodly people. And he cites two things that he indicts them with. One is a matter of bad theology. He said that these are people who have taken the grace of God as a license for immorality. Now these groups technically are called antinomianism. Let's all say that together, boys and girls. Antinomianism. That meant they took the grace of God being so wonderful and so powerful that it not only forgave our, our present sins, but also it meant that our sins were covered. No matter what we did in this life, it's already been forgiven by God, so we can go out and 
have ourselves a real uh, bangers, you know. And they were they were spreading that, and they were guilty of uh, sexual promiscuity, but thought it was all right because they they have a free ticket. They have a forgiveness in advance, and salvation is secured for them. That's what antinomianism is all about. And so there's no need to refrain from sin, particularly with regard to uh, apparently uh, uh, sexual immorality. There's a license for mor mora uh, morality in it, it is called. And he cites as a, several examples of how God judged those who were unfaithful, the uh, Jews in the Exodus that failed to be faithful to God, turned out to not to, to trust him, rebelled against him, you know the golden calf story, etc. He cites this a story of Sodom and Gomorrah, of that dreadful faith uh, sin that was committed, so much so that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And there's an interesting thing is our research that in the scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned 22 times as being examples of God's judgment upon uh, evil humanity. In addition to that bad theology, there was naturally, there was bad behavior. And that has already been uh, uh, demonstrated. And their false teaching was to deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. He is not supreme. He is not the master. He is not the Lord. He may not even be divine. He did not die on the cross. But all of those false teachings, they were spreading throughout the church and really, really uh, havoc with the church. Now Jude calls upon the Christians, not in any specific town, not in a specific place this letter is being written, but he says, I felt I had to write to you. We wanted to write to them about sharing about their common faith, the faith that they shared, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I, I've got something more urgent on my heart that I've got to I've got to emphasize. And he says, I urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. He wants them to contend. Now, that little verse carries a lot of weight with it. First point is, it is obvious that there is a faith once delivered to the saints. Now, the faith they're talking about is not a personal faith of trust where an individual trusts in, in uh, uh, God for their salvation, saved by grace through faith. It is a, it is a body of belief. It is the essential kernel of belief of the Christian church. It is a revelation that is essential to the truths for us to know. A few moments ago we stood and we proclaimed our beliefs in the Apostles' Creed. And one reason we do that Sunday by Sunday by Sunday is that we're contending for the faith. We're holding on saying this is what we believe. Others may uh, take that and twist it and water it down, but here's where we stand and here is what we believe. Second, that this faith delivered to the saints uh, one time, and, and it was not something that could be changed and altered and perfected or decided by majority rule uh, during the ages. It was once given, once for all, it was forgiven, given. And then he emphasized that faith is worth continuing. It is so important that all the battle we may do to hold on to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ are worth our effort. 
The third thing he is emphasizing is that the faith is repeatedly threatened within the church. There will always be those who want to water it down, those who want to change it with changing times. Uh, let me cite just an example. There is uh, upon the scene today and has been for uh, I guess a couple of uh, decades or, or more a, uh, an emphasis called the Emerging Church. I don't know whether you've heard about that or not. You go, you can Google it on the computer and you'll, you can just read for hours the information that is there. The people who are, are saying we can't really know what the, what the scripture means. They won't out, out, outright state that they don't believe the scripture, they don't follow the scripture. They just say, well, it's just a little confusing and we can't, we can't be so sure about it. Let's just have a conversation about it, one of their favorite uh, phrases. They play it fast and, and loose with the scripture. They are trying to redefine the gospel. They're trying to redefine the church. And they, they have uh, meetings. They're not like our meetings. They bring a lot of, of uh, cultism uh, into the scene. And they say, we, we, we don't have a sermon as such, we have a conversation. We don't, we're too humble to think that we have uh, the truth. We're, we're, we're willing to share with other people what they think the truth is. There's not an objective, absolute truth out there. And the fourth point being made is that every genuine believer must contend for the faith. He makes that clear. We have a we have a role to fight the good fight, to fight the battle, to stand in the trenches of uh, theology and of belief and of Christian practice, and not accept whatever wind may be blowing and whatever may be coming down the road. That faith is that objective body of belief that is essential to Christianity. It was revealed by God. Man did discover it. Uh, philosophy is what man tries to decide what life is all about, its meaning. But this has been handed down to us. It's been entrusted to our care and our keeping. The body of beliefs and truths of the gospel, not something concocted by human beings. There's an emphasis in our day and time that reflect upon this as in, uh, in music, some singer named Robin uh, has a song entitled, My Truth. If I don't say what you want to hear, if I don't dress in what you want me to wear, if I don't think the way you do, I can't help it because that's my truth. If my truth makes you bored, if my religion isn't yours, if my authority doesn't fit my youth, I can't help it, because that's my truth. You see, the truth often hurts, but it's honest, it's always worth it. Can I, can't deny that I'm subjective, but no truth can be objective. Even though it's universal, it's always individual. My truth, your truth, his truth, her truth, it doesn't matter as long as it's truth. That's the kind of confused thinking that is being offered to what we would call a younger generation. They're more susceptible to that as people 
fail to say this is what God proclaims as being the truth. John Wesley fought these bottles. He, he was a great uh, one who defended the orthodox, basic Christian faith of the church. And he says, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And those of us who've been around a while, we've seen that, the shift of, of how you <coughs> tolerate something, and before long, that becomes the main thing. That becomes uh, number one. He said that vice does not lose its character by becoming fashionable. I think of Fred Adams' words about Hollywood and entertainment uh, industry, how, how they are eager to make certain things that the Bible calls sin uh, to make it fashionable, but it doesn't work. All believers, all of us, called upon to engage in this battle, in this fight. Jude calls upon them to persevere. He says, uh, in the last days, there will be scoffers. And he describes these scoffers, these uh, ungodly men that have uh, secretly crept into the church and have, no doubt as they began, they, they appeared to be sincere. But Jude is pointing out that that is far from the truth. He talks about them having the uh, instinct and the reasoning of animals. There's an animalistic uh, attitude toward whatever feels good is okay. A professor at Duke University School of Theology was meeting in a restaurant near the school one day and struck up a conversation with the waitress and he mentioned that he was working with ministers at the uh, divinity school she struck up that uh, conversation with him and uh, said oh yeah the methodist church uh, there i've just been reading about the methodist church about about uh, one of your slogans he said do you mean the one that talks about the open heart and open minds and open doors. She said, yeah, that's the one. I, I heard that on the, on the TV. She said, you know that's really neat that you don't have to believe anything in order to be a member of that church. Huge <laughs> <laughs> calls forth for all Christians. Say, so we must stand in the gap of those who would so water down what the gospel says. He starts out by saying, build yourselves up. Prepare for the battle. You know, if you were going into some kind of physical confrontation, you want to be in good shape physically. You think about all the preparation that went into the two teams playing in the Super Bowl. Was that just a week ago? Think much longer than that. I guess because the hype was so heavy, it seemed to last forever. But think how how hard they work to be physically prepared for that big game. And so we must build ourselves up. We must uh, exercise. Paul often uses an uh, example of athletics in uh, 
his writing. And for us as, as Methodist Christians, we think of the uh, Wesley saying that we've got three rules. One is to do good, second is to do no harm, and third is to uh, keep the ordinances, keep the means of grace, those being basically scripture and prayer, but worship and holy communion and uh, holy conferencing with other uh, Christians, fasting, those are the things that will build us up spiritually so we can stand firm. We're challenged in what we believe, we will be able to stand firm. He goes on to say, pray in the Holy Spirit. Does that mean praying in uh, tongues? Not necessarily, but pray uh, with his spiritual concern, not as those uh, unholy, ungodly men are doing. He says, keep yourself in God's love. Keep reminding yourself that Christianity is all about a relationship, not about regulations, not about uh, rights as such, but it is a relationship with Jesus Christ who has come to be our Lord and our Savior. He said, be merciful to those who doubt. Be, be patient with them to help them bring them back to the solid ground of belief that we stake our salvation and our eternal life upon. He said, to those who are, are disobedient, we show mercy with godly fear. Scripture again and again calls us to, to be sure that we be careful that what we're judging other people about, we're not guilty of ourselves. So we show mercy with that uh, awesome fear of God. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to what was then called Burma. It's back in 1812. He went to Burma and preached the gospel for 38 years. During that time, his wife died, and he was very distraught, very depressed. He said, I can't, can't understand why God would let this happen. Here I am trying to do the right thing, trying to be a faithful missionary. Now my wife dies. He said, but I... I can't walk by sight, but I'll walk by faith. He continued his missionary work there. He translated the New Testament into the Burmese language. Then the Old Testament finally finished translating the whole Bible so they would, they would have it. There was held a celebration of the Bible coming to Burma after 150 years. They had a great celebration. And someone from the United States who was there visiting Burma asked about, uh, do you remember hearing anything about a missionary that was here named Adoniram Jensen? And all their faces lit up and said, yes, we know him. We know he loved the Burmese people. And he said, in fact, though when he left here, when he died, there were no churches and only about 
two dozen believers. But now, there are over 600,000 of us Christians. And every single one of us can trace back our Christian heritage, our conversion, to Adoradon Judson. Here's a man who stood firm. Said, they said he, he died, he suffered for us, and he died a pauper. But he was a man who contended for the faith. God blessed his work. He never saw uh, the great fruit. But he remained faithful. He was willing to contend for the faith that others may believe and be saved. And what fruit his labors bore to the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask you to forgive us for the times that we have not been contenders of the faith. That maybe we have been succumbing to temptations to not believe the scripture, not believe the, this great body of truth which you have handed down to us through faithful servants like John Wesley and dozens and dozens of others. We thank you for their gift to us. We pray that you would forgive us for taking them so for granted and to recognize what you would have us to do for the next generation. They will not succumb to sloppy agape but you'll not succumb to cheap grace. But you'll not succumb to and believe anything you want to so long as you're sincere. Fallacy. Enable us, our Heavenly Father, to be a church that people can look at and say, now there's a church that contends for the faith who believes the scripture, who stands by the affirmation of faith entrusted once for all to the saints. Grant us the wisdom, Lord, that we need through corporate study and prayer to stand firm in the contest for the souls of men and women and boys and girls in this community and throughout the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.